Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And today, more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Today's conversation is undoubtedly going to make you hungry. That's because we're talking with Jeff King from the Hershey Company. He's Senior Director, Global Sustainability and Social Impact. And Hershey is a house of the most wonderful um, brands that we all know and love. Some of my favorites, Kit Kat, Twizzlers, Good and Plenty, Almond Joy, York peppermint patties, and of course, Reese's, and many, many more. We're going to learn so many wonderful things from Jeff. The combination of his career journey from marketing and brand management into the creation of the company's global sustainability and social impact approach. We're going to hear about employees multiple, multiple times. And that brings so much joy to my heart because those of you who follow my podcast know that I feel that employees are right at the epicenter of any company's purpose that truly sings and works exceptionally. And this company has a marvelous, marvelous purpose, making more moments of goodness. So let's get started I promise not to make you hungry. We're going to hear the story of this very large company that has chocolate at its core with over $8 billion in sales annually, over 20,000 people around the globe, manufacturing in six countries, marketing in over 90, and just an amazing company that has its strategy in terms of its commitments from the Milton Hershey School that was founded many years ago by the Founders Trust that provides free K through 12 education to underserved youth, all the way to providing guidance and counsel to small entrepreneurs in countries in Africa where they source their cocoa to help them grow their livelihoods and then everything in between. So I think maybe you should break out your box of good and plenty not watch a movie, but listen to this wonderful podcast. So let's begin. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being here today. Oh, and uh, to let everyone know that I had the wonderful opportunity to have Jeff on a panel at Sustainable Brands in 2019. And he talked about a small portion of what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to really expand our conversation. So let's just start a little bit about you. And so just talk a little bit about your career trajectory, because our listeners are I know a lot of them want to have your job. And so they want to know, how do I get there? My background is in marketing. 
Um, so you know, brand management, working, that's why I went back to get my MBA for, went to Procter, Gamble, came to Hershey through that marketing lens. So worked on brands, the PL, innovation, customer marketing. I've made those rounds. But I was fortunate enough in an innovation assignment to start looking at social impact and the role that a company could have. And that actually opened the door for me to then transition my career. And I initially came over to sustainability. Uh, it was going to be a two-year assignment. Just for a little, I said I would come over and lead some strategy and probably go back to marketing. And I just I haven't looked back. I mean, it was, a, it was an intentional move on my part to think about transitioning my career into something different that just, I think, made me a little bit more of, I guess, a personal purpose more than anything else. So now it's, it's a nice linkage of that business background to be able to translate sustainability back into the business and lead that integration. And I think that's a great point that you're bringing a business hat to sustainability. And so it's not just philanthropy, community engagement, but it's how truly you can help in today's highly transparent world. And we're going to get into cocoa and cocoa sourcing in a bit. But having both of those hats to wear is really important for our listeners. And and so I'm glad that you did that. You were a brand manager at Hershey's, weren't you? What brand were you on? Uh, yes. At the time, I was senior brand manager on Reese's uh, and then went to innovation. And then I was a global franchise leader as a director for uh, Hershey and Reese's. And it's my understanding that Reese's is one of, is that the leading brand in terms of sales or if, if one of the leading at Hershey's? Yes, it is. It, it, Reese's is a year over year powerhouse. Absolutely. And it's multiple billions as I've read. It's well over a billion. It's, it's been many years since I've been looking at sales numbers, so I couldn't tell you where they are today, but it's big. Okay, but it's delicious uh, two-parter, chocolate and peanut butter. Mmm, yum. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your favorite Hershey's candy? You named it already. Uh, besides the fact that I worked on it, uh, Reese's for me, I- I'm really a salty snack kind of guy. So Reese's, which brings that salty and sweet together, would by far be my favorite candy. Oh, there you go. And how many can you eat in one sitting? Because I know you can't eat that many. You know, transparency is important in my job, but I'm not going to disclose that number. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's great. So let's just talk about your personal purpose at this point in your career. Um, And and how does it come to life through your role at the Hershey Company? (laughs) It's funny, Kara. I I listen to your podcast from time to time. And I can be honest, I've been dreading this question. Oh, no. And here's, well, here's why. I think many of your other guests, I mean, I'm impressed. They have great answers for this. I mean, lofty <laughs> statements, succinct answers. And I, I just haven't crafted that or, or had that. As, as I mentioned, you know, my career was spent working on the business. Right? And, but I kept asking myself, shouldn't we be doing more? And as I talked about, I transitioned into sustainability where I, I now take that business background and work across an entire company and its sustainability journey you know, just trying to get the company to be better. So I was, I mean, I was been thinking about this. I, that's probably my purpose statement at this point in my own journey, just trying to be better um, at what I do and sustainability and the impact that I make and how I can, you know, push and pull the company along. So that would probably be it just to be better. And I think that's great. I think that's succinct. I think, and as we all, as we both know and listeners know, this is a journey and that each company gets it a lot 
or a little, or they're, you know, different parts of the company. So I think that that's a great personal purpose statement. So, so okay, we just crafted it together here. So I love co-creation. So the Hershey Company, unlike others, has a wonderful, wonderful aligned purpose. And it's to make more moments of goodness. How great is that? So how did the company identify and develop that purpose? And how does it come to life throughout the enterprise. Yeah, so we went on a on a you know again <laughs> journey or went to look at what would our purpose statement be. Um, and a group spent a lot of time with our employees and interviewing consumers and our customers to really understand the role the company plays. And more importantly, what role do the brands play in people's lives? And as you start to, to, to really dive into that about the role of the product and maybe how it plays in the role with the family, you get to this notion of goodness, right? Of course, the product tastes good. It makes me feel good. Gives me a sense of goodness. Um, so that's like the first part. And But then you start diving it and then you get about, well, it's about a moment. I mean, let's be honest, you know, a chocolate bar is not going to change your life. But for that moment in time, things are better. And maybe it's just bringing the family together over the campfire for s'mores, or maybe it's a Hershey's kiss and how you express how you feel, right? So now it's about a moment of goodness. So we make moments of goodness. And then you got into, well, as a company, we've been around for 125 years and we'd like to be around for 125 more. So that's where you get to this notion of making more moments of goodness. And that's how we got to the statement. You know, how's it come to life? throughout the enterprise. It comes out in a lot of ways. So we're going to go into it, but what's the major way that you feel it's coming to life? Again, this is uh, something that we're really working on. So it definitely comes to life through the brand, the product, and the role that it plays with consumer. And, and we definitely bring this to life as we talk to employees internally about what we do. And, and we continue to work on that if you think as it goes into sustainability and social impact, the role that the company and the brands have in those spaces is how we're how we're trying to work to bring that to life. So let's get into your sustainability strategy, which focuses on shared goodness. And I really want to um, suggest to our listeners, go to see the company's website. Look at their sustainability report, which Jeff, I think is Fabulous. No, thank you. I, th I think it is beautifully designed. It gets the messaging across clearly. It is very transparent. We're going to get into measurement and transparency in a moment. But it is just an exemplar. And so, um, again, we're, we're going to we'll put a link to that page um, in our show notes, but but it's terrific. So you actually call out at the center of your sustainability strategy, our shared goodness promise. And then you have graphics on it and you encircle you encircle your infographic with this wonderful phrase energizing our remarkable people to share goodness. And so can you talk about the pillars? Shared futures, shared business, shared planet, shared communities. How does each one of those help the organization to be intentional and focused in achieving impact. This strategy was the first sustainability strategy we ever had as a company. Uh, we did this work, call it 2017, put the strategy forward in 2018. And as we look at this, again, we wanted to really, we took in a lot of internal and external stakeholder input. We looked at our 
material issues. Uh, we looked at what does the company stand for, um, which is where really youth comes from and the Milton Hershey legacy um, for helping youth to succeed and tried to then define these what we called pillars. So we had, I just mentioned youth. Of course, you needed, we should have planet. Community, we think, uh, was, has always been important to the company to impact the places where our, our employees live and work. And we then, at the time, we sort of put everything else under what we called business. So if you think of responsibly sourcing our ingredients, the role of brands, the role of human rights across the supply chain, and et cetera. And then, as you mentioned, we underpin this with what we call our remarkable people, because none of this work gets done without our employees. This was our first holistic strategy um, as we started to then build programming um, along with that. As you think of a science-based target for greenhouse gas reduction on environment, better human rights due diligence in the supply chain, and so on and so forth. Since then, so that's the thing. You, you talked earlier on about a journey. We keep marching and we have we now have six key strategic priorities. And we have 15 core KPIs that are in that sustainability report that we will be, these are 2025, 2030 types of goals that we will report on every year. And we are now going through the exercise to make sure that the strategy and these key priorities and these KPIs are all tied together. So you might see some changes in the future of how we talk about that strategy so that everything is tightly linked, but it's really in these areas. And that's honestly where if you think of community and the areas of the business and really trying to impact planet, I think every company is really trying to impact those. And then we have this specific focus called youth that we, that we explicitly call out. I'm curious about, so you've got an organization fairly new, you know, you talk about 2017, 2018, the materiality, understanding, you're talking to a lot of stakeholders, kudos to you. Who were the ones by function, you don't, you don't have to give us the name, that really needed to be educated about how the strategy needs to be developed and come to life? Who were a little bit of naysayers or sitting out of the fence sitters? <laughs> okay, let's call out fence sitters. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. It's, 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 <laughs> if you think about deploying a sustainability strategy, I mean, you many times certain things absolutely at certain functions. So let's talk about responsibly sourcing ingredients, right? So that, of course, you're working with your purchasing organization, your responsible sourcing organization. But then as you start to get into programs like Planet and in greenhouse gas reductions or water reductions, I mean, now you're starting to get into or think human capital and, and the DEI space. All of a sudden, this is now a team sport. Every employee across the company has a role to play. If you think of some of those things that I just mentioned. So now you're starting to have to deploy this across an entire company and really start to interact function by function on where they may fit within those various programs. So that's really, I think, where sustainability or ESG, whatever you want to call it today, has gotten to is it's the entire company coming together and not just those select few and certain functions to make this whole thing come to life. So how did you educate the C-suite to relevant and well-done ESG strategy? Because I'm, I'm sure it was like new to many of them. Yeah, I think you just have to look at you, you need to bring your leadership along um, because you're right. I mean, they are experts in their specific areas or experts in the business 
the notion of ESG or sustainability is, is, is new. So we had spent a lot of time with them as we were developing the strategy to, to, I guess you could say, educate them and really just bring them along. And then as you start to have other stakeholders you know, put, um, who speak to the C-suite a lot, particularly investors, you then spend time with your executive team as they want to go out and interact with Wall Street. Um, so you'll, you know, you spend time with prepping them on the questions they might get asked, and of course, all of the background to those. And again, it's it's just been a a you know, multi year journey of of bringing them along. And the objective that they have is they want to talk about sustainability as well as they can talk about the business, which is fantastic to hear from an executive team because you know then they're really vested in recognizing this is 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 part of the enterprise. Did you, when you were educating them, and obviously you have to be, you know, uh, depending on do, does a recipient want a lot of information, a little information, did you also use any exemplars, like other organizations who are doing it well, whether it's in your category or outside of your category? And I'm curious if you did, um, you, if you could mention who you, who you used as good examples. I mean, we've done that in the past. Uh, you look at, you know, other companies that are doing it well, of course, you know, a Unilever jumps to mind. I think you know PepsiCo and their Pep Plus just came out with a with a new version of their strategy that's heavily commercially focused. We would look at as a good example. But I think as you're crafting sustainability strategy and doing the work, I think it is more important to know where do you want to be on any of these areas and focus on that and do that well. I think that there is an increasing amount of noise in sustainability. If you think of the amount of commitments and claims that are being made, you can always be chasing the next commitment, try to, I guess, keep up with everyone else, or just say, no, this is where we're going to be. This is what we're going to deliver and focus on delivering today's commitments. Because that's the important part of sustainability. I always like to say, you know, commitments are easy to make and hard to deliver. So we try to be very focused on the work. And yes, we look at other companies, but I think you can spend all your time trying to chase them versus really delivering great results. That's a great answer. I I love that. Um, There's also another stakeholder um, who is your heritage. It's your legacy. It's your founder, Milton Hershey. And um, I, I really love this quote. It's the help the other fellow principal is the only one that will succeed in modern business. And he must have said this so many decades ago. And so why is it important um, to honor a company's legacy and history while you're also trying to move into the future with your sustainability strategy? I think it's critically important. I mean, especially if your company has a long and rich history like Hershey does. And this is critical for a few, a few ways. You know, first and foremost, if you think of Hershey's, we have, we have a role in society. I mean, most folks grew up with Hershey and you hold, you know, you hold space in, the, in their hearts and minds. And you need to make sure that you're paying homage to that. Yet at the same time, you have to contemporize the company so that you don't become an aged brand. But I think it becomes as important, if not more important, when you think of legacy about two employees. And there's an enormous amount of employee pride on working for the Hershey company and what the company stands for, where it came from, what Milton Hershey did when it comes to commitment to youth, our role in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the other places where we where our employees live and work. 
I mean, our employees really feel this on, on why they come to work every day. So you have to make sure that you talk about that legacy um, because you know it's so important to your employees. It's great because you've mentioned employees multiple times. And so I'm going to give you a big virtual hug because so many organizations are coming late to the party. Oh, yeah, we got to like let employees know. But they've been so much of a part of the construction and the co-creation. Um, and uh, the fact that you are honoring uh, Milton Hershey's legacy is just, just terrific. Um Another thing that you have in your sustainability work and your report is measurement. And you, you said this earlier, you talk about setting KPIs. So how did you go about setting them? I know you did a materiality, but then you had to, to your point, peg them. But you also, in your report, you are transparent, very much like Unilever. You do like a, you know, a red light, yellow light, green light sort of system, but I think you do like pluses and checks and things like that. So you're letting people know we're getting there. Maybe we're not. So why is that important? And then how are you really getting to the core essence of measurement? Yes, I think it's it's critically important when you, you know, let's just take, for example, we release a science-based target uh, for greenhouse gas reduction, and that target came out this year. And so we've started to now, the baseline is 2018, and we've started to report, uh, where are we on reducing greenhouse gas? I think that's critically important so that people can see, and this is a 2030 goal. I mean, there's, that's a long way away. And so people can see that you are making substantive progress today towards a long-term goal. So I would expect in the future, and as we, as we came out with these core KPIs, you're right, you have pluses and minuses, but over time, you should start to see actually numerics on where, we're, where we are. And then when you do that, that then forces, for lack of a better word, the company to now say, here's why we're doing really well. And if we're behind, here's why. And here's what we're doing to catch up versus the commitment that we've made. Again, that's what transparency is all about. It's being, it's being open and honest about what you're doing well and taking credit for that. It's also being open and honest about where you're not doing well and what you've learned and what you're going to do to do better. And so let's talk about an area that's that's critical for you in materiality, and that's cocoa sourcing. And there's also tremendously hard and tough issues of child labor. And so can you really, let's give a little more depth to um, your child labor monitoring and remediation systems, your CLMRS, and you know, how you set them up, um, how you're managing them long distance and how you feel about your progress. Is it good? Is it bad? Can you do more? So specifically for child labor monitoring mediation system, we have pledged that in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, which are the, our high risk areas, that we will have 100% of the farms that we source from covered with CLMRS by 2025. And we are well on the path towards, towards achieving that. Uh, and you might say, well, what is a, a child labor monitoring remediation program? So first and foremost, it's executed by our suppliers or other um, non-NGOs uh, that work on the ground, um, which is the first thing to know is that most chocolate companies aren't out there buying cocoa from farmers. We work with suppliers, um, and they're the ones who have people on the ground. What a CLMRS system does is you first have a, a series of education that goes both to everyone who purchases cocoa, so the people who are actually buying the beans, and you set up another system in the community 
um, with folks who are trained on what to look for when it comes to child labor on cocoa farms. So let's say specifically, what do I mean when I say that? Child labor is defined as children who are doing work on family farms that's inappropriate for their age, right? We're not saying that kids cannot work on a farm because kids work on farms all over the world, but they have to do work that's appropriate. What we are not talking about is forced labor. That is a completely different type of issue um, that we also monitor for, um, but those, those should be kept separate. So anyway, so the CLMRS system is working through the formal supply chain and through the community, and they are there to then, if they identify um, a child who could be doing inappropriate work, you then visit the farmer. Most of these things, we then get into remediation. And that's where a lot of this just gets solved by education. So if the child is carrying heavy loads, you explain to the farmer that they shouldn't be carrying things that are heavy. Um, you should be doing that. So many times education solves it. Sometimes um, a child might uh, not be going to school. And when you go and interview the farmer, the farmer says, well, they asked us for a birth certificate to attend school and we don't have a birth certificate and we can't afford to get one. So what do you do? You get that child a birth certificate, so then go back to school. So then you put in this remediation, you visit the farm a few more times over the course of call it 12 to 18 months and make sure that what you plan that you've laid out is being followed. Um, and then that child is considered remediated um, and, and, you, and you move on to the next issue and the next issue. So you asked about how, how do I feel about this? Um, this is seen as the best in class example of how to cover your supply chain. Um, now, this only covers the farms that we source from. And what you want to have happen is that everyone sourced in cocoa are using these systems to cover right, the entire cocoa growing area. But how do we feel about our farms? We feel this is, this is the best system we can put in place just to help mitigate this issue. How have others who are sourcing cocoa, have they uh, reached out to you to learn more about the system so that they can um, help upscale uh, their work and the transparency of the work? Yes. So we belong to a group called the International Cocoa Initiative or ICI, uh, where most of the larger cocoa companies, we are all members. And ICI is um, the one who developed CLMRS, uh, really is seen as the group when it comes to child labor and cocoa. So I would say the larger companies are all doing this today. And then we continue to try to reach out, whether that be through the World Cocoa Foundation or just to other companies to try to get them to sort of join this collective effort. That's really what you're trying to do is get everyone to join in. But most of the information then all gets shared at ICI um, in you know, a couple of meetings a year. Uh, so I wouldn't say that we are working to, or especially helping to coach other companies. We would just help if someone reached out, we would try to bring them into that club. And have you had the ability to travel to be on the ground and to witness any of these programs? I have. I've been on the ground both in Ghana and, and, and Cote d'Ivoire, whether that uh, for, for various programs and CLMRS being one of them. Yes. And how did that impact you? It helps to see it, uh, to understand how hard this is. Anytime we take someone there, whether that be a Hershey employee, I've taken um, nonprofit partners there as we've been trying to do work, and people come back and they say, okay, I get it. They start to understand how dispersed these farmers are, how little infrastructure you have when it just comes roads, getting from 
farm A to farm B can be a heck of a journey sometimes. Um, and you start to see what the rural infrastructure is when it comes to electrification and all of these other things. All of the government services that I think we take for granted that are extremely challenged, then they, people start to say, now I see why it's so hard to disseminate programming um, just because of the, the environment that, that you're dealing with here. So it is, I think it's critically important for folks to get on the ground and really see what, what, what you're working on. And has your CEO, has Michelle been uh, you know, to the field? She has, yes. And, and I assume that that has a, a big impact uh, on her vision and influence of this kind of work. It does. I think, you know, I, as I think I'm kind of going through, I think most executives have been there at some point. Um, once they join the company, um, there's always the effort to try to get them to get them out into the field. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's a wise that's a wise policy. So let's turn to another little bit of a lightning issue for you, which is uh, calories and obesity and candy and nutrition. Um, so how, you know, you, you've got such phenomenal brands. Obviously, this is a little bit post Halloween. We hope that everybody was, you know, getting all their getting out to trick or treat finally. Um, but how do you deal with the calories in calories out issue and, and candy? Let's let's go to one of your open comments, right? You talked about that. I think you said, you know, studies have shown, you said that eating one York pepper patty a day is okay. That's how we look at it, is that <laughs> if you think snacks and not just us, but all kinds of snacks, they play a role in a balanced diet. Um, so that's that's the message that we that we that we put out there that most folks do. It's 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 about moderation because we know that I think I think. This has been shown in studies on diets that when you completely deprive yourself, and you're, if you're trying to watch calories, that usually doesn't work out well. So pretty soon you break. <laughs> you boomerang, um, right? Right. It just doesn't work. So it is. It's about a little bit is okay. That's the message that we put out. <laughs> that that'll give me re- reason to have uh, have my one Kit Kat a day, which, exactly. which would be great, just or a one. piece of a bark thin. Oh my god, it's just so so delicious. Um, <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Um, you know, you've developed your corporate purpose. How are the brands responding to it? Because the brands are so strong just on their own and they just have such um, energy and excitement. Are they saying, hey, we want to do a bit more and we want to start individually beginning to bring this purpose to life in some sort of social impact way? This is something, again, that as we talk about the purpose statement is fairly new and that we're working through. Because I think you, and you sort of said, I mean, each brand is different, right? They have an identity. They say they have a tone of voice. You know, they sometimes do. they say they have a personification and so on and so forth. And that's critically important for that brand to preserve because that's their, that's what they stand for. It's the promise they give to the consumer. For them, as they're trying to stretch into some of these spaces, it's, they're trying to figure out, well, how do I stand for more? An example I would give this past year, the, the Hershey brand did a limited edition uh, She Bar. Um, this was aligned with International Women's Day. And it was, we had different executions around the globe. So in the U.S., the S-H-E was, was highlighted. In other countries, they put artwork from female artists on the package and so on and so forth. And that was more, it was a smaller program this year, and they really want to make it bigger next year. But the brands came forward and said, well, we really want this to be just to be more authentic. There, there should be a social purpose or a core to the program. 
So that's where my team got involved. And we now have um, two global partnerships set up with organizations that support women's empowerment, particularly youth and girls when it comes to empowerment. And again, what we're working through right now, that execution is going to be localized, yet linked to a, a larger message or call it a global movement. Um, so again, still working out the details of what this is going to look like next year. But, but I see this as the first of many ways that our brands can deliver against, as, as Carol, what you might say, a, a broader purpose. So I expect this to be the first and I, I expect there to be more after that. And I bet it's that's going to be a lot of fun to, to see it develop. So um, we'll keep our eyes out. You have an amazing asset um, from your founder, the the Milton Hershey School. And, um, you know, I read about it. Interesting. It was a marvelous article in the New York Times Sunday Magazine um, about a young girl who had the opportunity, who, who came out of a, a very disadvantaged background and, and, you know, got the opportunity to go to the school. And it, it really went in great depth about her journey. Can you talk a little bit about the school? And how um, and its impact over over the decades. Yeah, I mean, for listeners who might not know the story of the Milton Hershey School, uh, Milton and his wife could not have kids, so they started what I think was called the Milton Hershey School for Time Orphan Boys. And before he before Milton Hershey died, he took his entire fortune, so the stock he owned in the company, cash that he had, and he put it in trust in perpetuity to fund that school. The school would outlive him. That trust has now grown and the school has grown to its services around uh, just over 2,000 students a year from disadvantaged homes can apply. They get accepted and they come to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they live in uh, a home with kids of their own age. And there are uh, house parents um, who help take care of them and all their needs are met, their educational needs are met, and they can earn as they work through school, they can get money to go to college. And it really can be a transformative experience, like the article that you read. And it, if you think about it, it's, just, it's giving children a chance to succeed um, and, and, and chart a new path. So, um, you know, the impact that it's made would be, you know, thousands upon thousands of students have come through that school. Um, the school is always, you know, expanding a little bit every year. Uh, and you think of its role in the community. And again, if you think back to our employees and the broader community who knows the school is right down the street, um, the pride in the company. Because a lot of our profits, because the school is a major um, shareholder, fund the, the operation of that school on a, on, on a yearly basis. And it's tr- it's truly an amazing asset to have. You have so many assets. Let's turn to the heartwarming project. Um, and, and like a Hershey's Kiss, I like to say this is a delicious program to unwrap. So how did it come to be and what are some of its elements and, and that made it so successful? So at the time, um, this is a few years ago, we were looking at what would the company's role be in you know, trying to put forward Milton Hershey's story of helping youth to succeed and how can we impact a, a broader swath of kids? We were thinking about nutrition. That was proving to be problematic. And at the same time, the Hershey brand was starting to look at the role of connection as they were looking at what they stand for. And you can think of, and and it makes sense for Hershey, right? Chocolate, the great connector. It brings people together. We talked earlier about campfires and s'mores and and sharing and you talk about Hershey's kisses and everything else. So we started to look at that and we started to dive a little bit deeper on this role of connection, particularly when it comes to youth. And 
the role of connection is extremely important to think of it. Youth development and youth well-being. If youth are struggling with connecting with others or struggling with inclusion, it, it can lead to some of those things that we read about. Um, bullying and teen depression and other, and other issues like that. Um, we also looked at the research and we started to, and we started to learn that uh, Gen Z has actually been called the loneliest generation. Now we can get into is that because of the advent of the cell phone and more online connections and personal connections, we could spend a whole podcast just probably on that. But we started to really uncover that this role of connection for youth, practicing empathy and inclusion, generating meaningful con- connections is extremely important. That's where the heartwarming project came from. Um, so we've started to build programming um, to help with this issue. So we sponsored through our partners school education programs focused on social emotional learning to help increase youth's well-being. Uh, we sponsored in-person and online forums to bring teens together to talk about these issues. We also have something called heartwarming action grants. So uh, youth who want to do things in their community can forth their idea, they can get an action grant and bring their ideas to life to help advance inclusion, empathy, and kindness in their communities. Um, I'd say to date, you know, working through our partners, we think we've reached, you know, almost 20 million youth over the past few years. And more importantly, we've had over 75,000 students take what we call direct those heartwarming actions in their communities. And we're starting to, you know, collect those stories and hopefully curate those. Um, and help to create that just that broader movement around inclusion and empathy. It just sounds like almost every single turn of your job is is absolutely very heartwarming. So congratulations on that project. I'm curious about the timeline for that project, the time frame. Because is it is it ongoing? Did you set you know two years, three years, five years, ten years? Because um, you know companies that truly commit to growing something and learning over time, they're going to get a greater impact. I think you're right. And, and we see this really as a, a, a long-term program for the company from the idea of this heartwarming project because it connects so well to who we are and what we do and, what the, and, and the role that the product has when we come to connections. We think that this has a lot of longevity to it. And again, as, as you start to tell these stories, you're hopefully creating right you know, a perpetuating cycle that you're bringing more people in and more people in and it can just grow. And you created that before COVID. So I'm just curious, um, since COVID did create more isolation, um, it seems like the heartwarming project is even more relevant. I think you're absolutely right. You know, of course, some of our, uh, it's where I was talking about, we were used to do things in person and now we've been moving more to online forms. You have to change some of your, your, your tactics um, which I think you're absolutely right. If you believe that um, some of the, the challenges that we have is just the fact that you don't feel connected because you can't be with other people, you're right. Uh, COVID has only exacerbated that and programs like the Harrowing Project are even more relevant. Um, maybe I'm just thinking maybe not that we want to be political, but maybe you should that every single member of our Congress should have like a Hershey's bar every day that they, <laughs> that, that they, would, that they would become a little bit more, God, collaborative than not. Right. With just, you know, a do better. Something like that. Yeah, do better. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe that's that's a new idea for you. So, so certainly take it and use it if you like. Um, you've talked a lot about employees, and um, I am just uh, amazed that you have an employee matching program that's in terms of gifts um, to their mm-hmm. not. That's very rich. It's what I I, I read. It's up to fifteen thousand dollars set per employee. Is that correct? 
Uh, yes, between the things that we do during the holidays, mm-hmm. um, the holiday season, when it comes to our, our larger partners, along with um, if you if you just have your own personal uh, passion when it comes to, to social giving, we will match that. That, that's that's a very, very impressive. Um, and what are other ways that you're allowing besides creating your purpose statement? Um, but what's your favorite, you know, one or two ways that you're that the company allows its employees uh, to truly engage on some of these amazing um, initiatives that you've already uh, discussed with us? Yeah, we have quite a few ways that employees can get involved uh, in a couple of through volunteerism. Um, so like most companies, we have, of course, we have volunteer opportunities throughout the year, but we try to have a week in, in the summertime we call Good to Give Back Week, where we try to have all our locations around the world giving back to their communities. In the past, we've done large meal packing events at multiple global locations. Uh, with COVID the past couple of years, we had to move to much more smaller group events. Uh, and we look forward to being able to move to the larger group settings next year, hopefully. Uh, we also have professional volunteerism opportunities. We work with a group called Partners in Food Solutions, um, where a handful of companies have come together. And think of this as free consulting for a virtual consulting, sorry, for companies in Africa that are trying to improve the food value chain. So someone who's trying to take agricultural commodities and turn them into nutritious food products, they might need help with engineering or quality management or marketing to help develop the business plan. We have people who will volunteer their time and work with PFS and folks on the ground to provide those that expertise um, to those companies virtually. The other thing that we started recently, I would say, is a group called Green Teams. These are at most of our sites. Uh, we're adding the rest next year where groups of volunteers who are passionate about the environment can now come together and, you know, learn about some of the programs that we do and come up with their own programs. We've just recently had a large tree planting event and putting in permanent pollinator fields around our technical center where we had some land that could have been used better and the employees wanted to turn that into more, you know, more green space for nature. And we're making that happen. Uh, the, the wonderful programs. I love the partners in food solutions and the consulting to, to, you know, small organizations in Africa. That's really spreading your knowledge and, and your reach. And it, and it makes sense. Um, you know, this has been such a delicious conversation and, and I hate to, to draw it slowly to a close, but I always like to ask our guests, what are the two to three top insights that you have for your peers along their purpose and sustainability journeys? I think, for, you know, we talked about this a few times, you know, the, the notion of inner engaging with stakeholders, I think is critical. And don't just engage with those stakeholders who tell you what awesome job you're doing. It's important to engage with those stakeholders who are criticizing you and bring them to the table and hear them out. Um, I believe that you create better and stronger sustainability programs if, if, you've, if you've heard what they've said and try to take it to heart and see what you could do based off of, of their input as well. So I do think a broad s- swath of stakeholders is critically important. The other thing I might say, a lot of folks ask, you know, oh, we feel overwhelmed. We don't know where to start. There's so many things. There's so much great work. And that's all absolutely true. Um, if you have to start somewhere, pick something, one thing, that you know it's important and just get started. Um, start small and build from there because you know, nothing builds momentum in, in an organization like some small success. So if you're struggling where to start, just pick one thing and get moving. 
And what would you suggest to a peer that they should say to their CEO who's off on the fence? They're not negative, but they're, "Ah, how much should I get engaged? What should you tell your colleague that they should say to convince their CEO to move this forward? You know, of course, it all varies by your CEO and what motivates them. But I think there's, you know, you as a sustainability professional sometimes can only say so much. So think about, as we talked earlier about stakeholders, use them to your advantage, just from the standpoint of who are other stakeholders that might motivate a CEO to get more engaged. It might be the voice of the consumer. It might be your customers. It might be investors. You know, make sure that there's another authoritative voice to add to your own as that sustainability professional to help talk to that CEO. That is great. Super idea, super idea. So I always like to turn the mic over in our last portion of this uh, amazing conversation. What haven't I asked? What would you like to just close with? I don't have anything else from, you know, awesome words of wisdom. Yeah, Carol, I would thank you for having me today. And Kwasi, thank you for having this podcast. I think it's, it's, it's conversations like this that we can all learn more about sustainability from each other. And again, bring more people into this momentum that we're just trying to create across companies. Well, thank you for the, for those kind comments. And, and I'll do a little segue, which is that, um, if anyone listening, if you just have a moment, uh, we love to be rated so that we can rise up in the business podcast. So please go to wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple and such and give us a rating. And I always like to end. So Jeff, really, I want to thank you for this conversation. Um, and I would, uh, like to say that you've provided tremendous insight to how I like to end my question. I used to say, what is your purpose? But I now ask our listeners to truly shift to the point to answer the question, which you did so well today and in all the years of work you have done at the Hershey Company, what is the power of your purpose? So I want to thank you, Jeff King. You are an amazing professional who has brought a business hat to the world of sustainability and CSR. And and listeners, don't get stuck on what you call it. Be strategic, be relevant, be resilient, and and just keep up with it because this work is powerful and we need more and more done today. So thank you so much, Jeff King. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 